0: As we open God's Word this morning, let us go to Him in prayer. Lord, we acknowledge that it's only by Your grace that we can stand here in a right relationship with You and just ask that You would continue to shower upon us that grace, to change us, to make us into the people You want us to be. Lord, and we confess that we are not that yet, but Lord, we know that You will complete what You've started. And Lord, it's only by Your grace that any of us or anything that we can be for You and and do anything that will last for eternity. And now I ask that as we look at Your Word, that uh, Your truth will be rightly proclaimed and that it would be applied to our hearts by Your Holy Spirit and that we would fall more in love with You, we'd be more devoted to You because of how devoted You are to us. Now speak to us now in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you are familiar with Chuck Colson who passed away a few years ago, but Chuck Colson in 1973 was someone highly involved with politics. He was with uh, Nixon during the Watergate scandal. And in 1973, in the midst of the Watergate inquiry, uh, he came out and revealed that he had become a follower of Jesus Christ, which kind of rocked Washington. You know, Chuck Colson, uh, the hatchet man for Nixon, had become a follower of Jesus. And then in 1974, he pleaded guilty uh, in the Watergate scandal and was sent to prison for one to three years, and he served seven months of that sentence. And it was during his time in prison that his faith in Christ and his experience being in prison uh, birthed in him this compassion to express God's love to prisoners and to ex-prisoners and the families of prisoners. And so he started a ministry to prisoners that has been uh, instrumental in mobilizing the church to do ministry within the prison. Now, looking back, hopefully none of us would say, you know that Chuck Colson, he just spent way too much time with prisoners. You know, if he would have spent more time with like, church folks and less time with prisoners, we'd be in a better, better <laughs> off than we are now. But all he did was just spend time with prisoners and the fringe of society. You know, none of us think that way, right? I hope you don't. You probably think this is a great thing that he did. And because of his compassion and his fuel, that w- which was fueled by the gospel, his willingness to go and minister to prisoners, uh, lots of families and, and prisoners and churches were impacted for the good. And for those of us who, ex- who have experienced the grace of God, and the forgiveness of God through Christ. We see what Chuck Colson accomplished with his life, and we think, that, that's a wonderful overflow. I mean, that's, that's the way the gospel is meant to work, in that it comes in, you internalize it, you experience it, and then it pours out onto other people. And we see that with Chuck Colson. However, this, this association with the fringe of society has not always been looked on favorably. If you go back a few thousand years, when Jesus was doing His ministry on earth, in the flesh, He was walking the earth, hanging out with some of the fringe of society. He was highly criticized by those who were in positions of religious authority within Judaism. Not all, but many. And so oftentimes throughout the Gospel, you will find Him in this conflict between what they would call tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees and scribes. So you had these two groups. One group was the moral group, the religious group, and this other group was the fringe. You know, they were the non-religious people. And the Gospel writers tend to tell these accounts of Jesus that put Him right in the middle of these two groups. So you have this clash of these two groups, and then Jesus is right in the middle. And usually He tells a parable to give God's truth to the situation. And that's what we see happening here in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, you see kind of the context that this parable uh, is initiated into. And that is, in 34, it says, The Son of Man, he's referring to the Pharisees and scribes here. He says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So he's saying, you know, just because I'm receiving people that were on the fringe and we're seeing them come to faith in, in God, you claim that I'm a glutton and a drunkard. I'm guilt, guilt by association, right? And so that's the context we see many of these parables uh, taught in. And that's what we see this morning in verses 36 through 50. Luke writes in verse 36, One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now, it was customary at that time, if you had a rabbi, or someone who taught in the synagogue or the temple, that you would invite him over for a meal afterward. So not much has changed in 2,000 years, right? If you have a guest preacher come in your church, someone's going to probably take him out to lunch somewhere. You know, that's just kind of what we do. Well, that's what they did back then. And then it says that he took his place at the table. And obviously, our table is somewhat different than their table. Uh, our table, you have chairs, and everybody sits around the table in chairs. But to get a better glimpse of how they would sit around the table, it may be better to think of it as a picnic. Like if you were going to go take out a picnic to the, to the uh, park, spread out a blanket, and you didn't have any chairs, maybe you would just lean on your, on your left arm, and your feet would be off the blanket you know, because you don't want the dirt on your blanket. And you'd lean on your blanket and then you would eat with your right hand. And that's what they were doing here, which is not a bad idea. Before you had tennis shoes, you know, had sandals, everyone walked everywhere. So I'm sure their feet were nice and you know, smelly. And so let's get them away from the table. <laughs> Put your feet away from the table and let's just focus here with the hands, not the feet. And so that's what we see happening here. He took his place at the table. And they would gather here to hear what the rabbi would have to say. Not only would the people that would partake in the meal gather, but this, you may look at it like maybe like a courtyard, and the public was invited in, not to eat, but to observe, because you have the rabbi sitting here, or someone with wisdom, and they're talking, and maybe people could hear them and you know, gain some wisdom from this conversation. So everyone would gather around to watch and observe this dinner happening. And this is the context, context for what happens next. Look with me at Luke seven thirty seven through 38 Luke writes, And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And what you see here is when the woman heard that Jesus was at this, this, this meal, she came to him, which tells me that most likely this is not the woman's first encounter with Jesus. Maybe she was in that worship service where he stood up and taught about the kingdom of God, or maybe he had, she had had an interaction with him at some point prior. But when she heard that Jesus was at this meal, she went to go meet him. She wanted to see him because she wanted to express her gratitude and love to him for what she'd experienced with God. This forgiveness that she's experienced with God. And we'll see that a little bit more later. And so when she hears that Jesus is at Simon's house, she makes her way there. And then Luke tells us that this awkward situation you know, begins to happen while you're having the meal. You know, everyone's having their meal, everybody's reclined with their feet away from the table. And this woman approaches Jesus. And she wants to approach Him and and maybe pour this perfume on His feet as a token of her appreciation. But when she gets to Him, she's overwhelmed with emotion. And so she begins to cry. And the tears drop on His feet. And she doesn't have a towel, so she just maybe takes down her hair and begins to wipe off the tears from His feet. And then finally when she gathers herself, she she breaks open that that perfume bottle and she pours it on his feet. In the middle of the dinner. In the middle of the meal. It's kind of an awkward situation happening, unraveling here, right? If you're Simon, if you're the host. I mean, think of it like this. Let's say uh, we bring in a guest preacher here to the Hill Baptist Church and you decide to take him out to lunch. And this preacher's fairly well-known. People know about him and in the area. And so... You decide to go to a restaurant down on Broad Street. You take him down there to maybe a place that has a beautiful courtyard, maybe some outside dining. And you all, with a group from the church, go down for lunch. And you begin to sit around the table. You order your meal, and the conversation begins to rumble. Everybody's having a good time. People around you are kind of peering over, looking at your table, because, you know, your guest preacher, they've heard of this guy before. And so they're kind of wondering what's going on over there. You know, like to hear what they're talking about. And then you as the host, the one who coordinated all this, you, you see down the road, you see her coming. You've been down to Broad Street several times and you've eaten down there several times, so you know this woman. You see her coming. She's homeless. She's a known drug addict. She's worked at several of the strip clubs down on Broad Street and you've encountered her several times before. And you see her coming towards the restaurant and you're thinking to yourself, Oh, no! Okay, Please don't come to this part of the restaurant and interrupt this dinner. This would just be this would be so embarrassing, And so you see her coming, and you're thinking to yourself, "Well, should I talk to the waitress or the management and try to you know head her off at the pass? Maybe I should get up and try to keep her from coming to the table and While you're thinking about all these different scenarios, she's coming closer and closer, and it's too late. You know there's nothing you can do in the amount of time that you have. And you're just thinking to yourself, please don't come to our table while we're having this special lunch with our guest preacher here. And sure enough, she comes and she walks right up to that guest preacher. And she leans over, and you can smell her from across the table, affirming the fact that she has not had a bath in who knows when. And she's wearing old clothes that are anything but modest, and she leans over and whispers something in that preacher's ear and then hands him a note. And then the preacher stands up and just embraces her. And you think to yourself, what is going on? Yeah, And you begin to think all kinds of things. You may even start doubting the integrity of this preacher. What, how does he know her? what what is going on here? And that may give you some idea of what Simon was thinking. When this woman poured out this perfume, if you've ever sprayed perfume, I know my children um, have gotten into the perfume every now and then and sprayed it a few times and you're thinking, whoa! (laughs) Someone got in the perfume. When that whole bottle is poured out, everyone smells it. Everyone sees what's going on. And so Simon's thinking to himself, In the next few verses, we we read about it. It says in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw what was happening, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And then Jesus, answering him, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. And he tells this parable about the money lender, who had lend, lended one person a lot of money and the other person a little bit of money, and he decided to forgive the debts of both. And the simple question is, Simon, who do you think was more uh, grateful and who you know, loved the, the generosity of the man more, the one who was forgiven a lot of debt or a little bit of debt? And Simon, being very <laughs> observant, <laughs> It's a no-brainer. The point is clear. Well, the one who's been forgiven a lot, I guess, would be more appreciative. And he says, you're right. And just think of it like this. Let's say you have a car. You bought a brand new car, and you owe $25,000 on that car. You took out a car loan. And someone comes up to you and says, I want to pay off your car loan. To which you say, sure. (laughs) Go ahead and do that. And then you go to a coffee shop later on that day, and someone says, I want to buy you a cup of coffee. And you say, okay, sure. Okay, both acts are very gracious. Okay, very generous. But which one are you more thankful for? I mean, you're thankful for the free cup of coffee, but $25,000, pay off the car? I mean, you are very grateful towards that person. I mean, that, you just realize that is an extremely extravagant gift. Extravagant, generous gift. And so Jesus tells that type of parable and Simon says, well, clearly the one who's been forgiven much is the one who would be most grateful. And then then Jesus turns the parable and He begins to apply it to Simon and the woman. Look with me at verses 43 and following. It says, Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom... He canceled the larger debt, and he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. Now contrast, notice the contrast here between the woman and Simon, okay? He's drawing a contrast. I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So the point is clear. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. And he's saying, Simon... You failed to show me any hospitality as I came in your home. Which some commentators believe were customary at that time. But this woman went above and beyond even crossing cultural norms in order to express her love and her appreciation to Jesus. And so the point is a simple one. And you know we've all experienced this as well. If we have been forgiven much... We are much appreciative and we love much. And you know, if you've experienced God's grace and forgiveness in your life, if you've realized your separation from God and you realize what God has done for you through Christ, and you've experienced His love and His grace and forgiveness that has brought you close to Him, then you know forgiveness and love are contagious. If you've been forgiven much, you tend to forgive much. If you've been loved much, you tend to love much. It's contagious. And then as you forgive, you are enabling and, and helping others not only experience that forgiveness, but extend that forgiveness to those around them. And as you forgive people, just as God has forgiven you, you are given opportunity for love to flourish. It's like you're creating a channel for love. To move from you to them to others. Which all flows from that reservoir of God Himself. See, the problem with Simon is that he loved little because he did not think he needed to be forgiven much. He's a pretty good person. He's not like this woman. And therefore his response or reaction to forgiveness was little love. Now just think about yourself. How well do you love others? Do you forgive other people? I would say there's a strong correlation between your ability to forgive and your experience of forgiveness between you and God. There's a correlation. One fuels the other. Think about how how does forgiveness and how does love flow through you. See, here's the issue, and this is the issue in my life, and maybe this is the issue in your life. We tend to slide toward Simon and not the woman. We tend to slide toward the, to Simon, and we begin to forget the gospel. We begin to forget our separation from God and how Christ saved us from being separated from God for all eternity. We, we forget what it's like to be gripped by our sin. And we forget what it was like when we slammed up against the forgiveness of God. We forget that. It's like when you see somebody and they look familiar, but you can't recall their name. That's how we get with the gospel and the forgiveness that comes through Christ. We know it's there. God forgives sinners, but we forget how He applied that to us. We forget our own sinfulness and our need for grace. And therefore, we have a very hard time extending that to other people because we have a hard time experiencing that ourselves. What we see here with this woman is that she was saved by faith alone, but that saving faith never remains alone. Look with me at verses 47 through 50. It says, Jesus said, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And what you need to see here is that the whole reason the woman came to the table to begin with is because she had experienced the grace and forgiveness of God. That's why she came. She had experienced the forgiveness of God, perhaps through the message that Christ had presented earlier or some other interaction with Him, but somehow she had heard about the kingdom and the goodness and grace of, in, of God, that God is a God of second chances, that He will bring you back in if you just turn from your sin and turn to Him. And he heard, she heard that message, she responded in faith, and then she expressed it in love. And so she comes to the table and he tells Simon, this woman has been forgiven much and that's why you see such an extravagant outpouring of love from her. And she even lets down her hair, which is a big cultural no-no, and she wipes his feet. And so for us, if we've experienced the love of God, the forgiveness that comes through Christ, then even uh, we won't even go beyond some cultural norms at times to apply the grace and love and forgiveness of God to those around us. And what you need to see as well is when you begin to reflect Christ to other people, when you share truth with them, but you also share forgiveness and grace and mercy like Christ did, not everyone's going to like that. Not everyone's going to cheer you on about that. I mean, they're not going to be a fan of that. They're going to say, you're too gracious. You know. You're a pushover. People might take advantage of you. And I just say, well, let's look at Jesus. Many embraced His message, but many rejected it and rejected Him. And He ended up on a cross. So when we reflect the message of God and the grace and forgiveness and love of God, not everyone's going to be a fan of that. Even some of the religious people, they're not going to be a big fan of that. They're not going to like that. And we see it with Christ Himself. But like I said, we tend to, we tend to gravitate, don't we, toward the, toward the Simon. We have a hard time Forgiving each other, even within the church itself. But if we're going to present Christ to our city and represent Christ to our city, then we need to share that same type of message, love, and grace that Christ Himself extended to us. And that begs the question, you know, what type of message are you extending with your life? What's what's flowing from the channel of your life? Is it from the Lord? Or is it from pride? Spiritual pride. That's Simon's problem. Spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is very limiting. If it's springing from, if your message is springing from spiritual pride, then you will love people if you think they deserve it. You will determine whether or not they deserve your love. That's spiritual pride. Because the Gospel causes us just to love people no matter what. Spiritual pride says, I will pick and choose who and what I will forgive. Spiritual pride says, I'm selective in my forgiveness. I'll only forgive certain things done to me, or certain people. Now granted, in order for forgiveness to take, there has to be someone that turns from sin, Right? I mean, we can't enjoy the forgiveness of God unless we turn from sin and embrace it. But as Christians, we extend it. But spiritual pride says, I only extend it to certain things and certain people. The gospel says, I'm willing to extend forgiveness to anyone like Christ extended forgiveness to me. Spiritual pride fears being taken advantage of. And the gospel causes us to be willing to be disadvantaged for the advantage of others. Spiritual pride puts a cap on hope, limits hope. You know, this woman, she could never be in the kingdom. But the gospel causes us to have an endless supply of hope for everyone. Because we believe that no one is out of reach of God's long arm of grace and forgiveness. No one. And so there's this endless supply of hope. And I know for some of us, you know, we're just not very risky people. (laughs) We don't want to take a risk. Um, But, you know, sometimes we have to let our hair down, so to speak, like the woman at the table. Cross some cultural norms, go against the grain, if that means expressing our love to Christ and our love for others and expressing that same message that Christ Himself expressed. And if we've experienced the forgiveness of God, then it will find its expression in us. And just think of it like this: I don't know how many of you have seen windmills or these newfangled windmills called wind turbines. They plant in the ocean and these large fields, but it's just like an old fashioned windmill you know you you're 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 harnessing the power of the wind you're channeling you're channeling you're channeling it you're taking it and uh you're trying to channel it and use it right you're trying to take the power of the wind internalize it channel it outward and that's kind of how I see. Christians, you know, we, we are all these wind turbines placed around Augusta. And the gospel blows across those wind turbines. The gospel blows across our lives. And as we embrace the gospel, we understand it, we experience what God has done for us through Christ, those propellers begin to turn. And that energy and the power of God and the gospel is internalized. And then it's channeled to those around us. And those propellers continue to turn and spin as the gospel is constantly remembered and understood. It's spinning, it's spinning, power is internalized, power shoots out. Love, grace, mercy, truth, the message of the kingdom. It goes forward. And the question is Is your life being affected by the gospel? You know, how are your propellers turning? You know, are they turning at all? Or are they turning slow? Are they turning fast? Are they being turned by the wind created by the gospel itself? And the more we understand and experience the gospel, the faster those propellers spin. And I'm so thankful for men like Chuck Colson who was planted in the prisons and caught wind of the gospel and that propeller spun and spun so fast and all that energy and power was channeled and it was just spewed out everywhere that he went through his ministry to those prisoners. And I wonder if we would allow God to spin those propellers of our lives through what he's done through Christ, how would that message, how would that expression of love and forgiveness spread out throughout the city of Augusta? He who has been forgiven much We'll love much. And the question is, will you open your life up to allow God to channel His love and grace through you? Let us pray. God, we open ourselves up now and we confess that we allow many things to spin the propellers of our lives. And many of those are not the Gospel. But self-preservation... self-pleasure. And we are restricted in how we extend Your message, Your truth, Your love, Your grace. And we confess that, Lord. Help us to be more like this woman and less like Simon. Help Help us to see Your Gospel find more expression in our lives. Help us to be known for people that love everyone, the religious leader and those on the fringe. And that we would not discriminate in the way we display your message, your love, your forgiveness, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.